from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And so these, uh, these trees, uh, they have obviously a unique soil. They have a climate in Tanzania that I imagine is not much like St. Louis. Was it hard to replicate these conditions to get this to grow well? Yeah, the soil is a very interesting environment. It's a, um, it's a raised coral reef. Um, so you can imagine ancient coral sticking out of the ground everywhere, coral rocks. We were debating whether it was actually going to flower in our, uh, during our careers, during our lifetimes even, um, because trees like that can take many, many years. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last month, one of the rarest trees in the world bloomed right here in St. Louis. It's called the Coromia gigas plant. And when it bloomed in a greenhouse owned by the Missouri Botanical Garden, it may have been the first time a trained botanist, or maybe even anyone ever, had seen it flower. And joining us today to explain why and why it matters is Andrew Wyatt. He's a senior vice president of horticulture at the Missouri Botanical Garden. Andrew, welcome. Thank you for having me on today. So, Andrew, tell us about this plant. What does it look like and where is it from? So, Coromia gigas is, is quite a large tree. Um, in the wild, it can grow from 40 to up to 80 feet tall. Hmm. Um, and it's got this fantastic red, um, reddish colored back. Um, it's a dry season dormant tree. Um, and it occurs in the Mitumbea forest in, in Tanzania and Lipo, uh, and Lipo forest, which is the, which is what the locals in Tanzania called the Miambo forest. Um, it's the littoral, uh, forests, coastal forests of, of Eastern Tanzania. So how is it possible to say, you know what, it's possible no one has ever seen this plant flower before this? Well, you've you got to imagine these these are, uh, are plants that grow in very uh, distributed areas, and they take a long time to get to. Um, so they're not they're not commonly occurring. There are only uh, twenty five individuals in the wild, um, and those are in small populations spread across large areas. So you can imagine if something's flowering, it's a two centimeter by two centimeter flower, and the flower's uh, uh, fifty feet off the ground, and it only uh, stays in flower for twenty four hours. Um, someone's got to be right there to see it flower. So, um, so the species was only uh, known and described from um, from fruit and back before. So this is the first time that, uh, um, that a scientist has been able to see the flower and be able to understand that it actually does belong to the genera um, that we think it does. And now that you know this, now that you've been able to see this flower, uh, what can you do with that information? Uh, well, the key the key thing is, of course, conservation of conservation of the species. So, um, to conserve a species, you have to know what it is, um, um, and secondly, you have to know how rare it is and where it occurs. Um, and so, once we have that as um, horticulturists um, here at the garden, we can then start to understand how to how to conserve that species. Um, and so, the flowering itself is important for us because we can um, we can now understand um, what conditions it flowers under. Um, we can begin to understand 
understand how to cross the individuals to create more genetic diversity, uh, potentially produce seed. Um, so the species has several challenges in the wild. It's, um, it's affected by a fungi in the wild, which wipes out the seed before it even gets to mature. Um, it also probably is going through uh, genetic bottlenecking because there are um, a small number of individuals occurring together in, in distributed places. So um, it's not actually fruiting and, and creating many viable seed. So, this, so those, are, those are all problems. Yeah, this plant does have some problems. And as you mentioned, only 25 of these maybe in the wild. How was it that the Missouri Botanical Garden um, was able to get these seeds and, and germinate this plant then where we had this big breakthrough? Uh, we we have a um, an Africa Madagascar department that works on on taxonomy and Roy Giroux, um heads the um, the work in Tanzania and uh, um, and he's been working in there for a, for a long long time with the Tanzania uh, Forestry Service um, and, and we were able to write a, a memorandum of understanding with the Forestry Service to actually allow us to to help uh, conserve the species ex situ which bring which brings the species out of Tanzania and also supports the in situ conservation of the species so. We did that in about 2017, and in 2018, we received uh, 6,000 fruits from, uh, from Tanzania. Um, and so these, uh, these trees, uh, they have obviously a unique soil. They have a climate in Tanzania that I imagine is not much like St. Louis. Was it hard to replicate these conditions to get this to grow well? Yeah, the soil is a very interesting environment. It's a um, it's a raised coral reef, um, so you can imagine ancient coral sticking out of the ground everywhere. Coral rocks um, are visible all over the place in the forests, um, and it's basically covered in uh, termite frass, a very thin layer of, uh, uh, as you could call it, soil. It's kind of like a, a, a very fine granular material uh, left over from what the termites have eaten. So, um, so it's a very odd material. One of the first challenges we had, of course, was uh, finding viable seed. Um, and we spent uh, about 18 hours, the team, uh, we had a team of staff um, working here to open the fruit um, and, and scour that fruit to find viable seed. So it took us 18 hours to open those 6,000 fruits. And we only found about 111 potentially viable seed from those 6,000 fruits. My goodness, uh, you can see how maybe this this plant is having some trouble. That's That's not a lot of viable seeds there. Yeah, and out, and out of that uh, 111, we were able to germinate 29. Uh, 29. But the good news is that um, out of the 25 individuals, we, we've got uh, representation from about seven, we think. Um, and that's really important because it's not just the plant itself, but it's the genetic diversity we want to consider in the conservation of the species. So the more individuals we've got, the more genetic diversity we've got, the, the higher chances we've got of being able to create viable breeding populations back in the wild. So a lot of work went into this moment. As you said, it only blooms for 24 hours. Take us to this moment. Was someone watching at the point when the bloom blossomed? Yeah, Justin, Justin Lee, our, uh, one of our main propagators here at the garden who's been involved in germinating the species and actually did the initial germination trials, was um, was down there watering the plants. And uh, um, and he sent out emails to, to several of us that have worked with the plant. And, and I think the excitement was just uh, very evident. And I think people ran down to the to greenhouses to take photographs of the plant. Um, I emailed Roy Giroux, who was actually um, across the other side of the country at the time. Um, and so we, uh, but the excitement was very, um, very evident amongst 
amongst the staff. Obviously, it took three years to get the plant to flower, and and we were debating whether it was actually going to flower in our uh, during our careers, during our lifetimes, even um, because trees like that can take many many years. So we were very very happy to see it flower in three years. So what a huge relief! It flowers. You all rush down there. You have just twenty four hours to do what you need to do. Now is this a matter of having to wait for years for this to happen again? No, we've actually had uh, two of the spec- two of the individuals flower at the garden here. So we've had uh, one flower, and actually the, the flower did uh, did die within 24 hours, and Roy was was out. And and then we had another flower a couple of weekends ago, and we were able to um, harvest it and preserve it in uh, pickle it in alcohol, so that we could botanically describe the species based on the uh, dimensions of the flower. So um, so we've had it flower multiple times. We now know that it, it flowers as it's coming out of dormancy, so it flowers on new wood. So I think if I was to bet, I think that we're going to see flowers probably every year on the species as it comes out of dormancy. Um, maybe not, maybe sporadically. In, in the wild, it, it goes through seasonal uh, flowering, so it may it may flower on fruit for several years, and then it will have a year off. Um, and so we know that about the species already. So you've been able to learn quite a bit since this just first happened a couple weeks ago. Going forward, is this going to be something like uh, the corpse flower there at the Missouri Botanical Garden, where when this happens, the public all gets to rush in and, and also enjoy this this 24-hour window of this flower's life? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we haven't got any art on public display yet. Um, and the reason for that is because the species is so rare, we wanted to be able to figure out how to grow the grow the species first before we actually put it out on public display. Um, but that's coming. Um, so it'll be added to the Climatron very soon. Um, I think what we've been trying to work on is, um, is understand how to propagate the species fully. So we've uh, been able to germinate the 29, uh, 29 individual seed, and it was kind of like a scattergun effect for us. We tried lots of different methodologies to be able to germinate those seed we didn't have enough to play around with but the ultimate goal was to make sure that we germinated some um so now we've been going through over the last three years um, several different propagation trials. We've been working with it in uh, micropropagation in the lab in agar jelly um, to do cellular uh, multiplication and even microcuttings to be able to then uh, see if we can root. And Caleb Dovac, our uh, micropropagator, has been able to uh, produce roots on microcuttings. So we so we know we can propagate it in uh, in micropropagation. Um, and now we're also trying uh, traditional vegetative propagation to see if we can root it, which is important because we can multiply it without relying on the seed, which produces very, very low viability. So um, so the idea is to approach it from several different angles and make sure that we can uh, be able to propagate it vegetatively and uh, uh, from seed. Well, Andrew Wyatt, these are some great leaps forward. We want to congratulate you on this and, and thank you so much for joining us today and, and just explaining all this significance. Thank you, and I, I hope everyone's able to come and come and see the garden, and uh, come and see come and see the chromia when it comes out on display. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. 
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.